Well, today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. So open your Bibles there. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 1. As we consider, uh, continue our series for October uh, on the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. This event that happened 500 years ago when Martin Luther made a post about indulgences that went viral and changed the world. Uh, we're going to continue today, kind of the format that we started last week. We're going to walk through some episodes in Martin Luther's life and use him as a guide to the Reformation and the great truths that came out of that. Uh, and, you know, and to understand, Martin Luther is not the only person who was involved in the Protestant Reformation. There were others. There were people who came before him, uh, guys like John Wycliffe or Jan Hus, which were, uh, you know, a while before him that were convicted as heretics and burnt the stake for promoting these same gospel-centered views. Their peers of Luther operating around the same time, like John Calvin or Ul- Ulrich Zwingli. It's a good name for those of you who are maybe expecting, you want to think about it. What should I call him? What should I name my baby? I thought Ulrich Zwingli. Uh, it's a great one. Just rolls off the tongue. Uh, so these guys were there too. Other people, men and women, contributing to this amazing Reformation. So we're not going to talk about all of them, but just want you to know that we're focusing on Luther, but there's a bigger story going on. But it's helpful to look at Luther because as we look at his life, we see how these five major principles that came to define the Reformation came into being. Uh, these five ideas are guiding our sermon series. They're uh, the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, they're called that because sola is the Latin word for alone. And uh, the idea was that over time, the medieval Catholic Church had added a bunch of things to the gospel, added things to what Scripture said. And the Reformers wanted to get back to the basics, strip away all that man-made stuff, and say, what is the gospel really about? So they came up with these five solas, these five things alone. Last week we looked at faith alone. This week is Christ alone. And then we'll see Scripture alone, grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. So last week, just to review, we saw faith alone. That is, salvation comes by faith alone, not through any works that you do, not through any effort that you put out yourself, but it's a gift of God, and all you have to do is receive it by faith and faith alone. And we saw that in Luther's story. I don't know if you remember the struggles that he went through as he tried to earn his salvation. He first became a monk. You might remember he was a really great monk. He said, if ever... Let's see, where's this quote again? If ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. He was the best monk. He thought if I could just you know, punish myself for my sins, if I would just beat myself over my sins, if I would go to confession all the time, if I'm just the greatest monk, then maybe that will do it. But it didn't work. He was terrified. He said, who am I that I should lift up my eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? For I am dust and ashes and full of sin and am speaking to the living, eternal, and true God. He felt so guilty. He was a sinner. Nothing he did could make him good enough to stand before God. Then you remember he went to Rome, and he had a chance while he was there to do something special. There were these stairs that they said, if you climb these stairs and you said the Lord's Prayer on each step, by the time you got to the top, your sins would be forgiven. And he did it. Why wouldn't he? But when he got to the top, he didn't feel any different. Instead, he turned around and he said, what if this is not so? What if it's all a lie? What if this doesn't actually cleanse my sins? But then he started studying the Bible, and that's where he got the truth. He saw salvation isn't something that you earn. It's a free gift from God. Jesus died to pay the penalty for all our sins. 
And if we receive that gift by faith, we are forgiven, justified by faith alone. And he said, when he realized this, quote, I felt myself straight away born again and to have entered through the open gates into paradise itself. And once he discovered that doctrine of faith alone, he could not shut up about it. So he saw people around him buying these indulgences, things that if you paid this money, then that'll get you out of purgatory. That'll get your friends out of purgatory and and your sins will be forgiven. He said, no, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches. And so he wrote the 95 theses, 95 arguments why indulgences were wrong. And he posted on the door of the Wittenberg church. And that post went viral all around the empire. And while that viral post changed the world for the better, it also got Luther into a ton of trouble. Okay, but before we get to that, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. And our passage today is chapter 1, verses 10 through 31. So this comes in a letter that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And these folks were in need of a bit of a reformation of their own. They were also drifting away from the gospel of salvation in Christ alone. And they had started putting middlemen in between Uh, Christ and the people. So instead of just being a group of Christians who said, I follow Christ, they were developing these factions and some were saying, I follow Paul or I follow Peter, who is sometimes called Cephas, or I follow Apollos. And so Paul writes at the beginning of this letter to them to remind them, you don't need a middleman between you and Jesus. All you need is Jesus Christ alone. So listen as we read 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 31. This message of Christ alone. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power." For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ, crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I wish we could spend time to unpack all that, but we'll just focus in on a couple of verses today. You see how the Corinthians were putting these middlemen in place of Jesus? I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos. Okay, Paul hated that. He hated that. He didn't like the spotlight on him. He was always trying to get the spotlight on Jesus, on the Jesus Christ alone. And so when he came to the Corinthians, he reminds them, I came just to preach the gospel, the simple message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins. And if you put your faith in him, you're forgiven as a free gift. That's all you have to do. That's what he was trying to preach. You see that in verse 17. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Again, in verse 22, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, he's just, he's just trying to preach Christ, just Christ alone, no middlemen, just Jesus on the cross dying for your sins. It's not about Paul. You don't need Paul. You don't need Peter. You don't need Apollos. You don't need anybody else. You just need Jesus. That's the message that Martin Luther recovered and that he was just trying to preach. He, 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 just, he just wanted to do what Paul was doing. He would rediscovered the simple gospel. Salvation is a gift received by faith alone. And he wanted to share that with people. He wanted them to know it's through Christ. Through Christ, you don't need a middleman. You don't need somebody between Jesus and you mediating salvation. It's just Jesus. It's all you need. But this message that Luther was preaching of cutting out the middleman you know, it, it sounds good unless you're the middleman. And so it was very threatening to the Catholic Church. Because at that time, the Roman Catholic Church was the ultimate middleman. Everybody believed you didn't go to Christ alone for salvation. The only way you got salvation was through the church. The church had the ability to grant or to withhold salvation from you. They stood between Christ and the people. And without them, you couldn't get salvation. And that position as the middleman, dispensing or withholding salvation, made them the most powerful institution in the Western world. And that was the very thing, that source of power was the very thing that Luther was attacking now or threatening with his teaching. How did this come to be? How did the Catholic Church manage to trick everyone into thinking that they were the middleman who could give you or withhold salvation. Well, it came because of the sacramental system. At that time, the church was dominated by this sacramental system, these seven sacraments, special rituals or practices that you had to do in order to receive the grace that would come from God through the church. The seven sacraments were baptism, when you were born, confirmation, when you became of age, then you could take communion, the third one. Um, you would either get married, which would be the fourth one, or join the church, which would be the fifth one, ordination. 
And then throughout your life, you would practice penance, the regular confession of sin, and at your deathbed, you would receive last rites. Okay? So baptism, confirmation, communion, marriage, ordination, penance, and last rites. Now, if you wanted God's blessings, if you wanted Christ, you had to participate in that system. That was the way you received the grace. And if you didn't let the church be the middleman, you didn't get that grace. As an example, the sacrament of penance, which would be of confessing sin. It was a three-step process. So first step is contrition, feeling sorry for your sin. After that, you would do confession, that is, you would confess your sin. And not just talking to God, I'm sorry for what I've done, but you go and you talk to an ordained priest within the church and confess your sin to him. And then the third step is you would receive works of satisfaction, the priest would say, here are the things that you need to do, and if you do these things, it shows that you're sincere, and therefore you get forgiveness. That's how you receive forgiveness for your sins. You've got to go through the church. You've got to have contrition. You've got to confess to a clergy, and you receive the works of satisfaction. You do them, and then you're forgiven. But if you don't do that, you don't get forgiveness. Okay? In fact, some of the sins uh, were so bad, you couldn't just do it to a normal priest. If you had a serious sin, you might have to go confess to the bishop because only the bishop could, could forgive that sin. If it was really bad, you'd have to go to the pope, because only the pope could forgive a sin that bad. Right? It's not enough for Christ to forgive you. You can't just get forgiveness from Christ. You've got to go through the middleman. That's what it was like being a Christian in Luther's day. If you did what the church said, if you participated in their rituals, followed their rules, acknowledged their authority, then you could get the gift of forgiveness. But if you didn't go through them, you couldn't have it. It's not unlike what happens today in some third world countries after a disaster. There's an earthquake or a famine or a tsunami or a hurricane. And you've got all these people in desperate need. So what does the world do? People like you and me and other countries rise up with generosity and try to give gifts to them, freely helping them in their need. And the dictators or the corrupt officials take those free gifts that are given from the you know, humanitarians around the world and they hold them hostage and sell them to people who are experiencing a disaster. You know that happens, right? It's sad, but true. And the Catholic Church was functioning in that time like that sort of middleman, right? Where Christ, in his death on the cross, freely distributes all grace to people. It's received by faith alone. You can have forgiveness of all your sins. And the, and the church at that time said, no, no, no. We're in charge of that. We'll take that free gift, thank you very much, and then we'll turn around and we'll charge people for it. We can't possibly let them come directly to Jesus. So they were terrified when word began to get out that they weren't needed in that capacity anymore. That you could get salvation directly from Jesus without a priest, without sacraments. I mean, this idea of Christ alone was as scary to the Catholic Church as Uber is to taxis. Or Amazon was to Barnes & Noble. It completely disrupts their business model. And they were right to be afraid because it did change everything. And if you understand it, it will change everything for you too, but in a very, very good way. So here's the key truth that you need to know today. You might notice your note-taking outline is very simple today, just one line, but it's an important line. 
Every spiritual blessing is yours through union with Christ alone. Every spiritual blessing is yours. Every spiritual blessing is yours through union with Christ alone. That's the truth that changed the world and it will change your life if you let it. Jesus has purchased your salvation and along with it, every spiritual blessing in the universe and God offers it freely to you without a middleman. There is no third world dictator holding this gift hostage. It is totally and immediately available to you through your union with Jesus Christ alone. That idea idea is found at the end of our chapter in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. It says, because of him, that is because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption and redemption. It's a small verse, but it has huge truth. If you look at the second half of the verse, you'll see that Paul is trying to teach us how we get spiritual blessings. So second half of the verse, he says, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. These are all spiritual blessings. Okay, how do we get righteousness and sanctification and redemption and wisdom? How do they come to us? Do they come through the church? Do they come through a sacramental system? Do they come through a middleman? No. We get them in Christ alone. Look at the first half of the verse. It says, because of him or from him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. You're in Christ Jesus. It's a very small preposition, but so important. Don't don't pass by that word quickly. You are in Christ Jesus. That's the whole thing. See, those qualities at the end of the verse, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, those are all things that are true of Jesus, right? Those are his things. He's wise. He's righteous. He is uh, the source of all sanctification and redemption. That's all him. How do you get those things? It's through union with Christ. He says, in Christ. You are in Christ. Christ has these things. You are in Christ. Therefore, you have these things. God gives us every spiritual blessing, not through a mediator, not through anybody else, not through a middleman, but by taking us and uniting us with Christ so that everything that is true of him becomes true of you. I'll give you two illustrations of this. One, John 15, the passage I read for our call to worship this morning, gives the image of a vine and branches. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. The vine has all of the life-giving nourishment. The branches have none of that. Branches by themselves can't do anything. All they're good for is for kindling. But if you want a branch to have uh, life-giving power, if you want a branch to bear fruit, what does it got to do? It's got to be connected to the vine. And if it is... Just by virtue of being connected to that vine, all the life-giving power that flows through that vine now flows through that branch. Second illustration, marriage. If you're a poor woman and you're burdened with debts that you could never repay, what's one way that you can get rid of your debts? Marry a rich guy. Now, I'm not giving you this as, as life advice. It's an illustration. 
But if you're poor and you're burdened with that and you find this rich guy and you marry him, that solves that particular problem. Right? Because when you get married, you get united together. You become one. And your debts become his and his wealth becomes yours. That's what happens with Jesus. Jesus is a very rich man, spiritually speaking. He is wise and righteous and holy and perfect. And we are the poor bride. We are saddled with a debt that we could never repay, but simply by believing in Him and being united to Him, by being in Him, as it says in verse 30. Now, all of His riches become ours. All of His wisdom is ours. His righteousness is ours. His power to sanctify us is ours. His redemption is ours. And it all comes from Him and Him alone. See, it's this idea of being in Christ uh, that, that was at the center of the Reformation. There's this principle of being in Christ alone. Sometimes it's called union with Christ. It's the idea that you don't need a priest or a church or anybody to get Christ's blessings for you. You get them yourself. You know, to, to have someone else get the blessings for you is like having your friend marry the rich guy and then hoping that she would give you some loans every once in a while. That's not, that's not nearly as good. And that's not what the Bible says. You don't get your friend to marry Jesus. You marry Jesus. And if you're united to him, all of his riches are yours. You get them from him, directly from him, no middleman needed. Hey, that's the truth of Christ alone. And that is the truth that as Luther rediscovered it and began to teach it, the church got scared because it threatened to undo the power structure that had made them rich. And so when the 95 Theses reached Pope Leo in Rome, he began to, to try Luther for heresy, he began proceedings to arrest Luther and get him uh, convicted for trying to mess things up. Now, of course, in those days, travel was slow and information moved slowly, so it took a little time, but about a year later, so in, in 1517, 500 years ago, Luther nailed the theses on the door. About a year later, in 1518, the Pope sent a representative, Cardinal Cajetan, to meet with Luther face-to-face -face and try to hammer this thing out, try to shut him up. That didn't go really well. Uh, Cajetan told Luther, you need to recant. Luther said, no, I'm not going to recant. Cajetan said, I'm going to arrest you. And so Luther ran away, uh, bravely, bravely ran away. Uh, and Cajetan left then empty-handed because he couldn't find Luther. And, and then Luther resurfaced and kept teaching and kept teaching, causing trouble. About a year later again in 1519, uh, he had been causing so much, so much trouble, they, were, they scheduled this giant debate. Uh, it was kind of like the big fight recently between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. Like, just huge hype. Uh, everybody's got their entourage. People are just building this up. This is like the theological throwdown of the century. In the one corner, you've got Martin Luther representing Christ alone. and the other corner, you've got Johann Eck representing the Catholic Church and the sacramental system. And it's funny, we actually have a description of the debaters recorded for us. Keep in mind, this is written by one of Luther's friends, so it's a little biased. But it says, Martin is of middle height, emaciated from care and study so that you can almost count his bones through his skin. He's in the vigor of manhood and has a clear, penetrating voice. He has learned and has the scriptures at his fingers' ends. He knows Greek and Hebrew sufficiently to judge of the interpretations. A perfect forest of words and ideas stands at his command. He is affable and friendly, in no sense dour or arrogant. He is equal to anything. So in one corner, you got Luther. In the other corner, Eck. 
Eck is a heavy, square-set fellow with a full German voice supported by a hefty chest. He would make a tragic actor or town crier, but his voice is rather rough than clear. His eyes and mouth and his whole face remind one more of a butcher than a theologian. So those are your fighters. Yeah, you can tell Martin's friends wrote that. Now, what's the issue? The issue is, is the church necessary for salvation? And Eck presses Luther on this point. And so he says, quote, I see that you are following the pestiferous errors of John Wycliffe, who said it's not necessary for salvation to believe that the Roman Catholic Church is above all others. And you are espousing the pestilent errors of John Huss, who claimed that Peter neither was nor is the head of the Holy Catholic Church. So he mentions these two earlier reformers who were killed as heretics because they didn't believe the church was the middleman. Luther replies, As for the article of Huss, that it's not necessary for salvation to believe the Roman church superior to all others, I do not care whether this comes from Wycliffe or from Huss. I know that innumerable Greeks have been saved, though they never heard this article. It is not in the power of the Roman pontiff or of the Inquisition to construct new articles of faith. No believing Christian can be coerced beyond holy writ. Okay, so he says, I don't care if a heretic said it, it's true. I can't be convinced beyond the Bible. The Pope doesn't get just to make up stuff. And then he brings up the fact that there are other Christians. There's the Greek Orthodox Church, which has existed for a long time. They don't believe that the Roman Catholic Church is necessary for salvation. They've all been saved. The Bible is clear. Salvation is from Christ alone. Now, once he said that, it was all over for him as far as the Catholics were concerned. Because he just agreed with convicted heretics, which meant that he was, in their eyes, a heretic. And from that moment on, the full authority of the most powerful institution on earth was mobilized against him because he dared to question the validity of the middleman and said instead that every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ alone. That's a powerful doctrine. It changed the world. But we're not just here today to have a history lesson. We want to be transformed. We want to be changed. So we need to ask, has this doctrine changed my life? Have you grasped the idea that every spiritual blessing is yours through union with Christ alone? That right now, everything that's true of Jesus is true of you. That if you need anything from him, if you need forgiveness, if you need wisdom, if you need redemption, if you need sanctification, it is yours in Christ. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to confess to a priest or do any sort of other sacramental things. You just have it. It's yours. No middleman needed. Now, I get that we're all Protestants here. And so we're not falling for the same exact error that plagued people in the time of Luther. But there are many, many ways in which we can still elevate people to the role of middleman and try to get blessings through them instead of from Christ alone. So as we close, I want to show you how this works just for the four qualities listed in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Just think through this. So wisdom, first of all, wisdom. He says, Christ has become to us wisdom from God. Because you're in Christ, you have access to God's wisdom directly. James 1.5 gives the promise, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's a promise for you in Christ. That is yours. If you lack wisdom, 
ask for it. You don't need to find a guru or a wise man and say, would you please give me wisdom? You get to go directly to the source of all wisdom through Christ and ask God himself, give me wisdom. Is that not a wonderful promise for the times in which we live today? Aren't you confused by all the issues swirling around you? So many complicated things, and we just need so much wisdom. And you think about the national issues of race and racism, uh, the debate about policing, uh, things about gun violence, questions about health care, immigration. Is this not confusing? These are complicated issues. Where do you turn to find wisdom on things like this? I think many of us turn to middlemen, don't we? We identify our favorite experts, and we turn to them for wisdom. So your favorite expert might be a talking head on a cable news show. Your favorite expert might be people who write think pieces for your favorite website. It might be a late night comedian. They have set themselves up, many of them now, as founts of wisdom. Maybe you get your wisdom from the memes your friends share on Facebook. Now certainly we can get information from other people. But God is the source of all wisdom. We have access to his wisdom through union with Christ. So when we need wisdom, we should first and foremost go to God for that. Have you done that? As you think about the complicated issues facing our society, have you prayed and asked God for wisdom on those things? Or have you merely turned to your favorite middlemen to tell you what to think? Have you asked Jesus what to do about gun violence? If that sounds like a weird question to you, you might still be living in a pre-Reformation mindset. Because you have access to Jesus. Do you think he knows something about that? Yeah, he does. He's got wisdom. And if we believe that he has that wisdom and yet we don't act on it, we're functioning just like the pre-Reformation Catholics, depending on someone else to tell us what to think. The wisdom of Christ is yours if you'll ask for it. Or what about righteousness? Righteousness. Do you believe that righteousness comes from Christ alone, through union with Christ alone? I mean, I think we would agree to that. We'd say, yeah, I believe that my righteousness comes from Jesus. We sang about that today, in Christ alone. We believe that in the great courtroom, before God, we stand justified, not guilty, because Jesus has died in our place. And yet, even though we can profess to that truth that there is one verdict that matters, the verdict of God, and we've got that in Christ. We spend a lot of time and energy trying to get a good verdict from the middlemen. For some people, it's your parents. Maybe it's your mom. More often, it's your dad. Where you desperately want to get their approval. You want the verdict in that courtroom for them to say, I'm proud of you. You're righteous. You're a good kid. You've done it. And your hunger for their approval controls your life the decisions you make, the job that you work, everything you do. What is that? That's a failure to believe in Christ alone. That's you saying, it's not good enough for me to be united to Jesus and have his righteousness. I also need a middleman, namely my parents, to tell me that I'm good enough. Or maybe it's your boss or the opposite sex. You're looking for approval from them. Or maybe it's just the internet in general. Just got to get those likes and shares. And if I get that, then I'm righteous, then I'm good enough. Why does that matter? It matters because you're still living in a pre-Reformation mindset. You think the opinions of the middlemen are important, but there's one opinion that makes you righteous. There's one truth that you need. It's union with Christ. And in Christ, you're already righteous. It's yours. 
briefly. What about sanctification? Do you believe that that comes from Christ alone? Okay, sanctification is the biblical word for becoming a better person, being more like Jesus, getting more holy over time. So where do you turn when you've got that question, how do I become a better person? I think for most people today, the first stop is Google. How do I stop getting so angry? Uh, how do I stop lying? How do I become a better parent? And we find things on the internet, helpful articles, bullet lists, self-help books that we can buy, things that promise to make us better people. Hey, what are you doing there? You've set up Google to be your middleman. You're trying to find on Google what Christ has already promised you, that through union with Christ, you have every spiritual blessing, including sanctification. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and He is more powerful than the best article you could find online or the best book you can buy from Amazon. If you really want to change and become like Jesus, you just have to ask Jesus. And you can do that because you're in Him. And redemption. What about redemption? In all the crises and dangers that we face, we look for redemption. We look to different middlemen to redeem us. We look to doctors and the healthcare system to redeem us from our diseases. We look to tech companies to redeem us from the burden of work. We look to entertainment to redeem us from boredom. We look to our political party to redeem us from the other political party. But the only redemption that matters is found in Jesus. And the redemption that he offers is so much better than anything a middleman can offer. He is a better king than any politician we could elect. He's a better physician than any doctor in your network. He gives more joy than the best movie you can find. So when you're in need of redemption or of wisdom or of righteousness or of anything, don't go to the middlemen, go to Jesus. Remember what Luther fought for. Everything you need can be found in Christ alone. In union with him, you have every spiritual blessing. So turn to him, pray to him, trust in him, and you will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, we look to you. We look to you through the only middleman we need, that is Jesus, the one intercessor between man and God. Thank you for Jesus Christ, and thank you for this beautiful truth. Thank you for people like Luther who have fought throughout the years, and many like him, to recapture the biblical truth uh, that we get to come to you in Christ alone, that we have every spiritual blessing already in Christ. Lord, deliver us from the captivity that we take onto ourselves, where we limit our access to you, we limit our experience of you, because we're always going to other things. Father, as a group now, we just repent of that. We turn to you in faith. And pray that you would make a difference in our lives this week as we live by faith alone in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.